a look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. Welcome back to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down here in Tampa. Appreciate you finding us. Remember, we are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Definitely check out uh, the podcast feed on all your major Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Red Circle, Spotify, and anywhere else you find your podcasts at. We got podcasts from all over the country, from USC, the Pac-12, the ACC, the SEC, the state of Florida, and everywhere in between. Definitely subscribe, rate, and review. And again, appreciate you finding us on the Florida Football Insiders. We got a great podcast for you here moving forward tonight and this weekend. We are going to talk to, again, the Coach and the Kicker segment with Coach Jim Levitt, former head coach, University of South Florida. We're also going to have Colin Sherwin on. He's a college sports editor from Draft King Nations. We're going to talk a little USF football and a little some gambling uh, angles and such. Uh, but as we wrap up week number three of the college football season, a wild weekend here in the state of Florida, we had... Miami going down in Texas A&M. We had USF nearly pulling off an upset in Gainesville. Florida State winning a big game in Louisville. We had FAU going down to Central Florida. FIU was off. And then we had UCF beating uh, FAU down in Boca in another intra intrastate rivalry. A couple uh, scheduling notes as we head into week four. Give you the TV schedule and the point spreads as we, we've got another action-packed week of football games involving teams from the state of Florida. The highlight, Florida heads to Knoxville to see Tennessee on Saturday, CBS 3.30. Florida's an 11-point underdog. You got FSU hosting Boston College on Saturday night in Tallahassee on the ACC Network. Florida's about a seven, Florida State's about a 17-point favorite. We don't know what the status of Jordan Travis is. Remember, the quarterback got injured in the Louisville game. Got Miami coming off the Texas A&M loss. They're going to be hosting Middle Tennessee on Saturday afternoon, 3.30, about a 25-point favorite. FAU heads up to West Lafayette, Indiana, to see the Purdue Boilermakers. FAU is about a 20-point underdog, 7.30 on the Big Ten Network on Saturday. USF, after their tremendous performance in Gainesville Saturday night, nearly beating the Gators, they head up to Louisville Saturday, 12 o'clock on Valley Sports. They're about a two-touchdown underdog. FIU heading to Western Kentucky, a place that I've actually played a college football game at. 7.30 on CBS Sportsnet. FIU is a 31-point underdog coming off a bye week. And then UCF is going to be hosting Georgia Tech, 4 p.m. on ESPNU. UCF, again, an impressive victory at FAU last week. It's about a 20-point favorite over the Yellow Jackets in Orlando on Saturday. So there's your TV schedule for the week. Again, we're going to lead off with Coach Jim Levitt. We're going to break down all the games from last week. We're going to talk a little recruiting. We're going to talk how to defend the Hail Mary as well. If you remember, you saw App State win a game at the gun on a Hail Mary. We're going to talk that. We're going to talk, the uh, again, USF program. Where does Jeff Scott go from here? Where's Florida go? A big win for Florida State and Coach Norvell. How will the injury affect uh, Jordan Travis? Coach's thoughts on the backup quarterback at Florida State. You'll like those. And then we'll wrap it up with Colin Sherwin again. 
college sports editor, DraftKings Nation. We're gonna, he's a USF guy. We're going to talk all things Jeff, Jeff Scott in the USF program. Is this a springboard to a better things to come for the Bulls? And then we're going to talk a little gambling with Colin as well. So enjoy the podcast. Remember, if you have any comments, we'd love to hear from you at Sports on Twitter. And again, subscribe, rate, and review to Florida Football Insiders as well as to the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And now a word from BetUS. Hey guys and girls, with the college football and NFL season now underway, you need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. Go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have for all of our podcasts. You'll receive 125% of a sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, you get an extra $125. Put $200 in, you get an extra $250. So forth and so on. BetUS has all the NFL, MLB postseason, NBA, tennis, golf, Premier League, and college football wagers to bet on. But we all know you are all college football and NFL fans, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check them out at BetUS.com, and remember our 125% matching bonus for all initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, and most importantly, you get paid. All right, welcome back to the Coach and the Kicker segment presented by Beefo Brady's on Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Uh, I'm playing hurt today, Coach. I'm gonna need a good defensive game plan today to get me through the through our talk. My voice is 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 in bad shape, but uh, we'll make it through. You sound good. Here we go. <laughs> All right, let's get right to it. We had some uh, drama over the weekend in the state of Florida. We had uh, a great game in Gainesville. Florida escapes 31-28 over USF. Florida State wins Friday night 35-31 in a good, really good game. You had a Miami A&M. Miami goes down 17-9 in College Station, another really good game. And then we had UCF uh, beats FAU 40-14. Much closer game than that at the half, and the game kind of got away from FAU in the second half. Let's let's first start. Um, let's start in Gainesville. Great game, great performance by the Bulls. Give them all the credits. They come up a little short. You know, we talked about special teams. The holder drops the ball in the last kick of the game, 50-yard field goal attempt. Just your thoughts, of the, your general thoughts of the football game. Well, last time we talked, I told uh, I told you don't be surprised if uh, South Florida doesn't make it really close, you know, to halftime. And I thought the second half, I thought Florida would pull away. Yep. Uh, but they didn't. And uh, South Florida absolutely outplayed them. They did. They outcoached them. They had them more ready to play. Uh, Florida was not ready to play. Uh, they were outcoached and they were outplayed. I mean, uh, the bottom line is, you know, what what bothered me a little bit was, you know, they've got a uh, South Florida's got the transfer quarterback who showed showed a lot of uh, confidence. They and their team played with confidence. Uh, but to throw that pick after after uh, uh, South Florida makes the corner makes such a great interception, right? And um, you just have got to protect the football. It, you, you know, you just can't make that mistake, especially against University of Florida at their place. Uh, but then they drive down, they get the ball again, 
drive down and uh you know it's you know the the bad snap and uh and i i think they probably would have gone in there and scored one the game i thought they they they, they would at that point right. but what what was remarkable to me was florida has the ball first and goal on the five and they throw and they throw the fade which was a really poor poorly thrown ball i mean the quarterback they have from east side uh uh, Gainesville is uh, he's he's very good athlete, but I don't know how great of a quarterback he is right now yet. Struggling and, uh, to throw the ball, struggling. He's, he's not right now. It doesn't mean he won't be. Right. It doesn't mean he can't be. Nobody really knows, and you know, I'm sure the coaches of Florida don't know. And I'm sure that Richardson's got to he's got to figure it out. I know he's got great confidence in himself, but he can't make the mistakes he made. Not right. if they want to be. A, I mean, it's the most important position on the field. And to throw that fade, now what bothered me a little bit was they said that he checked to it. Now, of course, I don't know. I'm not in, I'm not with the coaches at Florida, but that happened to me when I was head coach of South Florida. We were in a situation where our quarterback checked out on a very similar to that early in our program. And I said, We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> uh, I said, it went, There's got to be a way that you get in that situation and you don't allow your quarterback to check. You're going to run the ball. You you know you got down to running the ball. I don't think South Florida would have stopped them, and uh, you do not give your quarterback the ability to do that. That's how I feel. Now you might give him freedom, but and all you have to do is have something on. You just got to tag it. You know, uh, you know, just a way to tell the quarterback hey, in this situation, you don't have the freedom to check. Right. You know, we're going to run these plays, and that's it. So, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot, there's going to be some real discussions, I'm sure. Right. Uh, you know, very good coaches on both sides. I thought I, I was I was really happy with the uh, incredible coaching on with South Florida, the offensive yes. coordinator. Great um, play calling, very creative play calling, and the defense. Uh, you know, the defense coordinator did a really good job as well. Uh, I thought. Um, for South Florida, they just they just absolutely outcoached the, the coaches at Florida. They just really did and had their team ready to play. I agree. Yeah, Anthony Richardson kind of reminds me of Trey Lance in the NFL, a guy with a ton of potential, but just not a good thrower. He has not played a lot of games. We talked about it. He's only played, you know, started three or four games in his career, so he's still learning. He doesn't understand. You know, the passing game is probably a little too complicated for him now. He's going to get better and better as he moves along. Got great talent, but you're right. You you can't you can't try to be. How do you how do you obviously as a quarterback gets more experience than you as the head coach gives him a little more freedom to check at the line of scrimmage. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, you got to know your player, and I certainly they. I I'm not with them, and you know he played such a good game in a Utah game, but um, you know I don't know. I mean, the jury's out on on how great of a quarterback gonna really be you just don't know and it doesn't mean he doesn't have great god-given talent and uh, and i had a, i had a quarterback like that uh, at south florida one time and you know we tried to limit him uh, quite a bit and do what he can do and right you know coaches of florida are very good they're good coaches they're gonna they're gonna figure that one out and you know, they, they obviously play him because he's the best where they they have you know but the bottom line is this also you, you can't go to i mean it was a great job by south florida Right. But you didn't win. Right. You know, we went up. I remember well, one year was after the year we were, you know, one year we ranked number two in the country. And the next year we ranked 10th in the country. 
we went up and played Joe Paterno's team at Penn State. They had 108,000 people there. And it came down to an onside kick. And we, I felt like we outplayed them in a lot of ways. And I felt like we got the onside kick. I don't think, you know, it's a long story on that one. But we came so close to beating Joe Paterno on a very good Penn State team, but we didn't win. Right. And, you know, and, and as we built our program, I said the bottom line is, you know, you Oklahoma, we went to Oklahoma, we outplayed them in a lot of the game, and we didn't win. Uh, there were other games like that. TCU, we, had, we hadn't lost a game in five years, and TCU came in and beat us 13 to 10, uh, but we didn't win. And right. you got to win those games. You know, that was so great about us going up to beat Florida State or some of those others. We've lost those games. Right. And I, I understand what Jeff's, Jeff's team played extremely well, played a great game. It's a loss. Right. Got, I'm saying uh, quarterback, you know, seemed to protect the football, the snap. I thought the kicker, boy, what a good kicker they have. He, he's he's outstanding, I think. And you know, it's just sad that those things happened when you know when it could have been such a big win, and we could have done this, could have done that. The bottom line is, you got to win it, you lose. That's and the Florida won the game. South Florida did not. And um, I, again, I thought South Florida played them, but they didn't win. And uh, you got to win those games. I mean, and they had it all set up for him in the last drive. If the guy doesn't snap the ball I, again, is that pressure of the moment? Who knows? You don't know. You know, the, the, you had the bad snap, and then you had the bad snap on the field goal attempt, or the, the and then the holder didn't catch the ball well either. But you know, those are the moments where, like you said, the good teams become great when they make those plays in those moments. That's what elevates you to a to a good program to a great program. Yeah. Now they go on the road to play Louisville, and right. it's a totally thing just because they played for us so close doesn't mean they're going to go beat louisville right they may they may not the bottom line is execution doing all the right things and i know that's what coach scott i'm sure is telling their team um it's very tough to go win at louisville uh but the bottom line is just keep getting better keep getting better right protect the football the game plan again i thought was outstanding i'm with the coaches they had them ready to play and and the leadership is going to be really important uh, as they go into Louisville, and you know it's a tough place to to go. It's a, you know they they've got, um, you know I've, I've been a part of those kind of schedules. You just go in and play one game at a time and go after it, and hopefully they'll do enough good things uh, uh, to come out on top. But you don't know, you know every game is different. Uh, you speaking know? of speaking of Louisville, Florida State goes to Louisville Friday night, wins a really dramatic game. Jordan Travis, the quarterback, gets hurt in the second quarter. The backup comes in, plays well. Johnny Wilson, the receiver from the transfer from for Florida State, comes in and has a monster game, has a great uh, final touchdown catch with about six minutes to go. And then the defense, again, the Florida State defense wins the game at the end with the interception. Your thoughts Friday night, Malik Cunningham, ill-advised throw there at the end. You know, uh, you know, big win for Mike Norvell. Well, it's huge. You know, really is really big, and I and I think says a lot about what Florida State is. They're really building something. Uh, you don't know. You got to keep going through the year. But to go into Louisville and win that game, I said last week, that's going to be a huge game for both teams. Yep. Because uh, Louisville had just gone to Central Florida and beaten them. Yep. It was very difficult. And now they have my home, Florida State. They had things going. Florida State comes in. Uh, Louisville had some momentum, and to win that game, uh, you've got to give Florida State a lot of credit uh, for winning that game. That's not easy to do. Uh, I said last week, uh, Cunningham is, again, inconsistent at quarterback. Yep. He's a tremendous athlete. 
at times he's unstoppable. He does some things that are uh, remarkable. Uh, but what impressed me was he made some mistakes, like you had said at the end. But how about the backup quarterback at Florida State? Yes. Was very impressed with him. I thought he came in. Uh, they've got two really good quarterbacks there, and that's important. And what an outstanding job he did. And what a what a great job for Florida State. Great, great job, really is. No, no doubt. And again, they, they, they again the defense again back to we talk about winning close games. I mean, again, the last two years, Florida State lost all these games. They're figuring out ways to win these tight ones late. You know, the LSU, obviously, the LSU game, the way they won that on special teams right. at the end. They won a game on defense. You 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 mentioned it. Back at the backup quarterback. That give that's gotta give the coaching staff and the team massive confidence. We don't know what the status of, of Jordan Travis is gonna be, but knowing you got a second guy that can come in the game and win games for you. No, and I'm telling you, I was – Play well and play well. Travis is a good player. We all know that. He's really good. But, man, I I was impressed with this This, this other quarterback. I, and I, you're talking about a battle in there now. They got, they've got yeah. got a good situation. They get Jordan back healthy. And, you know, it's – I mean, again, most important position on your team. But I was I was very impressed with the uh, with the quarterback for State. I was really – I thought he did an outstanding, outstanding job. Tate Rotomaker, Tate Rotomaker. Yeah, right. and, and like I said, we talked about last week. How many reps do you give a guy like the backup quarterback in practice? And we talked about that. And again, uh, much different than in the NFL. You actually give your backup some reps in practice throughout the week, correct? You, you do. And, you know, we talked about 40% last time. I said um, whatever they did at Florida State was obviously the right thing to do <clears throat> because they had him ready and he had himself ready. Yep. And it doesn't attribute to, to him. I mean, you know, that's that's a very tough situation to come into. A very, very tight game, 21-21, or it's a little bit probably not where when he came in. And for him to 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 lead Florida State to win at Louisville and to aid and to use his legs and run when he did, I, I just I was very impressed. Very impressed with that. Very good, very good. Yeah, you, you listen to the Coach and the Kicker uh, segment with head coach Jim Levitt, former USF head football coach. Again, we're breaking down all the games from around the country in the state of Florida. Um, before we get to Miami and the FAU, talk about Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards gets let go at Arizona State on Sunday. You probably have had a relationship with him at being in Tampa when he was with the Buccaneers, Coach Dungy. Uh, just talk about that. You know, they lose to Eastern Michigan. We talked about last week with, with Scott Frost. You're losing to teams you can't lose to at home. There's some there's some allegations of some stuff going on in the program. Arizona State cuts the ties with Herm Edwards. Just your general thoughts about it. I know you know Herm a little bit. Talk about just Herm in general. Well, I like Herm and him and his wife. I you know I, I coached Herm's son at, at South Florida, and I I've always liked Herm. And when I was at uh, Oregon, we beat Arizona State out there and uh, played pretty well in the game there. And Herm and I talked after the game. I just uh, I just I just like him. The problem is, is before the season even started, people were gonna were wondering. There's much smoke about the recruiting violations and right. what was on with, uh, and and really it's centered on on you know Herm's head football coach. So it's all gonna go to him. But the defensive coordinator and uh, some of the the other people they let go uh, to try to I think kind of scoot away from that. Right, but there was probably too many things that were happening. And I think there's going to be a lot more happening at Arizona state yep. uh, in the next number of weeks 
uh, that are going to, it's all going to come out probably. And there's probably not a lot of good things. You know, there are probably some things that they did that were wrong, right. but I don't know because I'm not the NCA. I'm not there. I don't right. Right. do like Kerm and uh, you just don't want to lose. So he's from Michigan and on top of all the other things. program is Colorado. You didn't bring up Colorado, but here, that's a program that the last year I was there, we won 10 games and is you know, no job is easy, but Colorado can win. There, yep. there are no questions. One of the most beautiful places in America. Uh, McCartney won. Uh, we won the one year, yep. uh, you know, play Washington championship game. Yep. And they're just getting destroyed. And uh, they're not even competitive right now. And that's, right. that's, it will be interesting to see what happens in that scenario. So, yeah, a lot of different things happening, you know, here, two or three games already, people getting fired. And the <laughs> yeah. landscape of football is just so different than when I played, when I coached. Uh, and, um, and, it's just a different world. And we all thought that Nebraska might play better against Oklahoma with the new coach and cleaning that out, and they got destroyed by Oklahoma. I mean, that that's going to be an ugly, you know, just the way it looks. That's probably going to be, you know, again, I don't want to make predictions, but that may be an ugly, you know, that might be a four and eight kind of year at Nebraska just because that looks ugly there. Well, you know, you just wonder their talent level, obviously. You don't know how much leadership they really have. And in tribute to Brent Venables, Brent played for me at Kansas State and was oh, like okay. three uh-huh. years. <clears throat> and I, I'm really excited about him being the head coach at Oklahoma. And uh, he's a tri- one of the best coaches out there. He's got great passion for the game, love for his players. And yep. he had ready because that, that could have been a tough situation. You just don't know. There's uh, variables that you just don't know going into Lincoln and new coach and just got fired. And is a team going to rally behind uh, Joseph and all those type of things? You just don't know. And uh, give a lot of get a lot of credit to Brent and, and Oklahoma Sooners. And they got remember they have the the UCF transfer quarterback Gabriel, the kid from UCF, the quarterback at Oklahoma now. So again, more Florida connections. And the point you made last week about an interim coach. After the game Saturday, Nebraska let the defensive coordinator go. So you made the comment about, hey, we've got to make changes. we got to make changes on the staff. And they've done that with an, even with the interim coach in there. All right. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. There, there's going to be a lot of – it's going to be, it's going to be a uh, tough year for Nebraska. We all know that this year. So, all right. you know. You got it. All right, let's get to Tech College Station yeah. Saturday night. Miami goes down 17-9. to to me, it was a game of Miami self-destructing. I mean, they they moved the ball up and down the field all night long, missed field goal, blocked field goal. The punt returner drops a punt, which leads to an AM touchdown. The inability in the red zone to, to you know drop several drop passes. I mean, wide open drop passes by the receivers. What what what'd you see in the in, in the game? Well, I, I I was I thought Miami would win that game. Miami's talent level very high. I, I was surprised they didn't play better. Um, you know, I, I just think that, uh, you know, there's a number of things that happened that game that were, you know, that just shouldn't have happened. And, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how, how Miami is as, as the year goes. They haven't played anybody really. Texas A&M was the first team they played. Southern Miss, you know, they're, they, they might be a decent team, but you know, Miami should roll through the first two and then Miami's got middle Tennessee this week. So you really don't know right. what, what all about until they start getting into the ACC and, and start playing some people, but you know, I, I I thought they played better than they did. You know, I really did, but they didn't. You know, um, so you know, it's uh, special teams. I mean, just special team breakdowns. I mean, well, just, a number of things. Red zone, like you said, there were some things that happened that game that, uh, you know, that um, you know, that just you know, 
obviously they'll they'll get in there. They'll say they got to coach better. They got to play better. You know, everybody's in it together. So you know they got where they got. You know, they just need to kind of come back to there because that's the first team they played. That right. really is a decent team. So that 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 game will show show them a lot more who they are. And next week won't well, Middle Tennessee. They should right. just roll Middle Tennessee, and then and then then you start the ACC. So. I thought, I mean, defensively, I thought that, you know, you know defense better than anybody. I thought they played pretty well defensively, and A&M's got a good defense. Um, right. What would you see? Did you see anything schematically that makes you nervous? No, I mean, I thought they're overall – the defense, there's a few things I didn't like uh, personally, but I thought overall they played really well. Guys played hard. I just think offensively they could have done some more things. they got a very good quarterback. They do. Uh, let, him, let him play, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, – uh, I, I think they've got a very good quarterback. So I I, uh, I expect Miami to do well this year. I'll be surprised if they didn't. Got the potential to be a really good Florida State-Miami game in another month or so whenever they play. So, I mean, both teams progressing. That could be a really good uh, game here and, and decide a lot of things in the ACC. Um, all right, let's go um, UCF-FAU, a game you really thought FAU would play well. They were in the game at halftime, 16-14. They go down. They they get outscored twenty four nothing second half. The the Plumlee kid from UCF had a tremendous game. Three hundred forty yards passing, one hundred twenty yards rushing. Really dominated the game in the second half. Well, they couldn't stop the quarterback running. <clears throat> you know, to me that you know you got to make him one dimensional, make him try to beat you throwing the ball. To me, I you know I, I didn't think Florida Atlantic did a very good job defensively on stopping that quarterback, and he got away from him. And you know, and that's what happened. I I was surprised the game. Halftime was more about what I thought it would be. I thought FAU came out, played. They scored right away in the opening drive. I thought they did some good things. I thought FAU would have a chance to beat Central Florida, quite honestly. Right. Uh, and at their place. And, you know, they had momentum off the last win. Uh, Got to give, again, Central Florida some credit for going in there. And, uh, I mean, it's not like going to the Swamp or right. going to you know, some other places. But because uh, FAU just doesn't have – uh, you know, that home field advantage isn't, isn't a great home field advantage, right. quite honestly. Right. And it's a beautiful place, and they've, they've got nice facilities, but you're not going to get the support out of the crowd that uh, other places get. And But, uh, yeah, their second half, they just didn't play well. You know, defensively, they got to play better than that. And uh, offensively, same thing. Got to protect football. Got uh, to do some things there, but – um, yeah, UCF, to, UCF gained 650 yards of offense. That's that's, I know. that's just a ton, and then killed them in time of possession, 37-22. Well, you know, I, I mean, Malzahn does a good job. They do a good job offensively. Their schemes are tough. I mean, I was a defense coordinator at SMU last year. We played UCF and beat them, and um, but I, it was hard. Uh, it was hard for me to to uh, to stop all the things that they were doing. Our guys played pretty well in that game, yeah. and. Um, uh, you know, got the win, but uh, but it's it's a it's a challenge. You know, you're stopping that quarterback running, and he can throw it, and uh, it's not easy. Uh, Mal- but Malzahn wants to run the ball with the quarterback. That's where he his bread and butter is when he has a quarterback that he really can lean on to run the ball. And this Plumley kid, he's a better runner than he is a thrower, I think. But um, right. that's the but that's the Oedipus of their offense is to be able to quarterback run the ball as part of that that uh, zone read scheme. Yeah, I, I and I and he does a good job. I mean, they're well coached. They know what they're doing, and uh, um, you know, and I know Orlando's a good a good football coach, you know, defense coordinator at FAU. I mean, he's right. he's really good things a lot of different places, and you know, uh, you know, 
last Saturday, though, that wasn't good. It wasn't, you know, you can't give up 650 yards, certainly, and uh, you can't give up 40 points, you know. It's right. just too many, too many yards, and he knows that. They know that. They've got good coaches, you know. Uh, you know, they just got to you know, move past that one. But, you know, now now FAU goes to Purdue. Right. Who That's lost a heartbreak, heartbreaker to Syracuse over the weekend at, at the basically in the last 15, 20 seconds. I watched the end of that game. That was a back and forth. That fourth quarter was a wild fourth quarter against Syracuse. Both teams were, you know, they scored like 42 points in the fourth quarter between them. So that was a tremendous finish on Syracuse. And you're right. Purdue's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough, tough out for uh, FAU. Well, you know, they, they went on the road and lost to Ohio. Now you got to go on the road to Purdue, and that's not going to be easy. And you you, you got to, you know, if you got to be, be able to play well on the road. If you're right. going to have a real game, you know. And, uh, I mean, FAU's got talent. There's no question they got talent. Uh, they've got good people. And, uh, you know, I nothing would surprise me in this world. I mean, I mean, how I, I mean, Northwestern gets beat Jeez. out of. Who's I? I don't, who was? I don't know who beat Northwestern. I forgot who. Southern who Illinois. Southern yeah. Illinois. This Southern Illinois in their opening game lost to Incarnate Word, like sixty Jeez. to twenty something. Jeez. And they beat Northwestern. You know, and then then you look at Appalachian State with Troy, the last you know the the Hail Mary. Uh, and I, then, I want to ask you about that as a defensive coordinator. I know it's hard. You can't practice those kind of plays. But what do you? What are the big concepts you talk to your defense about when you know it's a Hail Mary kind of play? Talk to the audience about what you tell your DBs well, of how to how to defend it. Seriously, how to defend it. Well, usually if it, you know, in my in my mindset, if it's on the other side of the 50, I go with a three-man rush. I drop everybody. And certainly you work on that play. You work on that play at least twice a week. And you get it out there and you do it. And sometimes you'll do it against your offense, and only one group is going to go up for the ball, one group's not. But, uh, you know, if they're getting close to that 50-yard line, I'm bringing heat. <laughs> yeah, make them throw the ball. I'm going to make sure that quarterback doesn't have time to throw it. Right. Uh, he's got to throw it early. And last year, I'll never forget, I was with, uh, I mean, two years ago, I was at FAU, and the defense coordinator at Marshall, we talked about running this uh, one defense I call shovel, which is zero coverage and bringing the heat. <laughs> and we were, I forget who we were playing, but the ball's at the 50. And I, dang it, I ran it. I brought everybody and we got an interception. The quarterback had no time to throw it, but I remember coach Taggart said, what are you doing? I, said, well, <laughs> I don't, I don't like those Hail Mary throws. It make me too nervous. I, I've been, I've seen yeah. too many people beat by them. <laughs> so, you know, if it's close to 50 yard line, don't, don't bring the three man rush. But if you're good, if it's the other side of 50, which is what I think it was, yep. and you do that three man rush, man, you, you've got to have a jumper. You got to have somebody for the tip ball. And you got to box out. They didn't box out. And the worst to. part is he didn't catch the ball in the end zone. He caught the ball at the three and then ran in. I know, and that's why I'm saying you might even box out, and it might those things might happen. So bring five, bring six, get that, get make that quarterback throw the ball earlier than he than he wants to. Right. Uh, you know, and but it's you know, I mean, good coaches have gone through there. Good coaches and be you know. I mean, like those and, guys are bad coaches. And the coolest part is, is, is App State had game day at the on campus that day. So it was the first time they ever had game day. And then you win a game like that in a miracle fashion. What a what a weekend in Boone. And look at Georgia Southern getting beat. Yeah, I know. You know, after going to beat Nebraska. Right. I mean, I don't know. This whole <laughs> oh it makes it makes that's why everybody, you know, college football is so exciting. And everybody, that's why y'all got that's why you guys got a lot of a lot of gray hair. Yeah. Right here. That's Fortunately, <laughs> I haven't been in that situation 
too many times. Now at SMU last year, we beat La Tech on the la on the last play at the 50, just like that. Okay. Exactly. Go back and Google it up. Our game against La Tech, and it was Skip Holt, <laughs> you know, who took my place. And uh, and Skip's a good coach, but we uh, we threw the ball at the last play, and same thing, same thing. Tipped the ball out, ran into the end zone, and won the game. Do you guys tip? Would would you normally call a timeout before that play on defense just to make sure everybody understands what you want to do? If you have it, yeah. Okay. You know, certainly you want to you want to talk about it again. But uh, the main thing is I need to know what you know, where's that ball. If it's right. I'm telling you inside the fifty, I'm going to bring people. Is that is you that know, a situation too? Because you see the, you see a lot of this in the NFL where they'll put a Gronkowski or a big guy, six foot six guy on your defense who might be a tight end or an offensive player. Did you ever use offensive players in that defense to put a big tall wide receiver in the game? To, oh, the I did back. Yeah. I had a guy named Anthony Henry who I played back to. He played both ways though, but it happened to us when we were playing New Orleans Saints when I was at San Francisco. It, you didn't know whether they're going to go for a futile because they're at the 50, right? You know, kickers can go or whether they're going to go to the end zone. And you had two different calls you made. Well, we were fortunate they threw it up in the end zone. The big tight end from Miami named Jimmy, um, I forgot his name, but Jimmy, Jimmy Graham. Graham caught it and, and out elbowed our DB. I mean, he, the guy's so big. Uh, fortunately, they called offensive pass interference. We didn't lose the game, but you know, it's and Vic Fangio is our D coordinator. Vic Fangio is one of the best out there. Yeah. And we, he gets, he gets caught on different calls and you know, he, he gave a call down to me, and I'm sending it out to Pat Willis. And and, uh, and then we knew right away that we thought they might go go for go out of bounds. And, and we had one call, and um, and they went ahead and went to the end zone. And, I mean, there are good coaches out there. They, oh, get, yeah. they get the stuff. They get burned. You know, and, and they work at it. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First-time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205 790-1404. College football and NFL football fans, we know that the season is cranked back up. Are you looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices? Take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Ticket Smarter is partner, partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They have also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. And with the best selection of NCAA and NFL football tickets, Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of the football season live and in person. Purchase your, your tickets directly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. We've got an additional offer for those listening to all of our podcasts. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off of your order of $100 or more, and that code isn't just a one-time use. Use it this week. Use it next week. Use it Thanksgiving week. 
Use our code as many times as you want this football season for the best selection of college football and NFL seats to the biggest games. Check out the selections, pricing now with Ticket Smarter, and remember our code, GRIDIRON22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. All right, a couple more questions. I'll get you out of here. A couple recruiting questions. Head coach, where I've always been curious of this. Where do where do programs get their list of players from? Obviously, you don't know all the players when when they're sophomores. Where do you guys get a recruiting list from? Do you guys pay a service to provide you information? Where does a college coach get their recruiting lists and all these things from that you hear about five stars and all these other kids? Well, you know, the first thing is, you know, wherever you're located, you're going to probably recruit the the state you're in, regardless, you're Iowa, Montana, or Florida. And then you got to go from there. You always you always go to the uh, adjoining states, the one neighboring states, and then and then you go to pockets where you, you feel like you can get a pipeline going. Scouting services. You know, you're going to pay two or three different scouting services to give you information. And and uh, as the years went, you know, we end up paying more and more people that you trust. You know, right. they gave you good information, but that's just giving you a lead. Uh, you certainly have geographical areas for your your coaches. And each coach is responsible for a geographical area for a certain number of high schools. And uh, they're responsible for going to making those phone calls and letters going out to those high school coaches. And some high school coaches do better than others on getting you information. And, um, you know, that's that's really important. What's great about living in a state like Florida or Texas or California is you don't have to go that far. You don't have to get on airplanes. You can just right. drive. Right. And and then you develop relationships. You cultivate areas. You know, like if you have a certain you have Miami area or if you have the Tampa area, you know, you cultivate, you get to know all the coaches in that area. So like if I'm recruiting somebody from Tampa Bay Tech, uh, you know, I might ask somebody at Plant or somebody at Wharton, uh, you get verification on how good you think that player is. Right. You know, you're always gathering information. You're always working it. It's year round work. You don't there's there's just like real estate. You don't get it. You don't get a day off. You're always going. And that's the difference between college and pros. Pros, you don't recruit. You know, you go draft somebody, and they're yours. Uh, in uh, in college, you have got to recruit, and you better have coaches that are uh, embrace it and understand how important it is. Because if you don't have players, you know, forget those about it. Areas, it'd be a lot better if you had some guys out there that have some length and ball skills, and you know, do the things you want them to do. You you're not going to have a chance. So recruiting is is uh, obviously the lifeblood of any program. Is recruiting is is I know obviously it's an everyday part of the job. Is it a poor, do you do you a lot of time do you a lot time during the day for your coaches to do nothing but recruit? Obviously the kids are in school, the high school kids. Do you say from three to five every day we're going to recruit, or from five to seven we're going to do all that work, the recruiting work, or how do you handle that with your with your assistant coaches? Well, each coach has got responsibilities, and they and they're going to recruit every day if. You know, something's going to come up. But normally I went on Tuesday and Wednesday night from 7 to 9. Our coaches, not our coordinators, but our coaches were going to recruit, get on the phone. Right. Uh, the coordinators were working on the game plans and those type of things. And I never – the defense offense coordinator, I didn't have them recruit unless they really wanted to. You know, they, they because the head coaches couldn't go on the road. Uh, there's a time period where the head coaches could go on the road, but uh, when they pulled the head coaches off because of cheating, uh, the, you, you got to depend a lot more on your defense and offense coordinators to go out and see a lot more people in the spring and to evaluate, to try to have one common evaluator. Right. Uh, evaluation is so critical. Uh, but Tuesday and Wednesday night, 
had to make phone calls on seven to nine. Uh, the rest of the time, uh, guys just handled the recruiting as they as they needed to. You know, you you come in there Sunday Sunday night. You're working on the next team. You got a lot of things to do to put those scouting reports together, and it's really hard to do any recruiting. But if you've got to make a certain call and you got to have a certain timeline when you got to talk to somebody, you, you do it. You, know, you just do. You break the. And a lot of times your defense and offense staff together. You you a lot of times you want to make that call anyway and have everybody talk to them. And then a lot of times you might want your staff all together, you know, especially you, you do so much more recruiting when you get to Thursday and Friday, you know, because your game plan's in, your yeah. GA are probably working on the next team that you're going to face. I'm breaking those films down. And, uh, but that's how I did it. As far as nowadays with so many of these teams having analysts and all that kind of stuff, is that something that analysts would handle a lot of is making those calls, things like that. Obviously you can do much more now, social media, texting, you know, Twitter, you know, uh, you know, all the videos, uh, Instagram, do you guys, was that a heavy part of how you guys recruited kids nowadays as well? Well, the analysts are not legally supposed to okay. make any calls. Okay. The GAs can. Uh, GAs were heavily, heavily into recruiting. And if there's anybody out there listening and they want to be a GA and you want to make a move and get into college coaching or anything else, you better first be a great recruiter more than a coach. Okay. That's how that's how it is right uh, today, which is really disappointing. You know, we had a lot of coaches come at different programs I've been in, and they always said, hey, they want to be known as coaching, as a coach, not just recruiter. And I used to be amazed, and you better, you better bust your ass and get in there and right. spend some time uh, working the hours because there's no reason you can't be a great coach and a recruiter, but you, you're going to have to you had to spend a lot more time than some of these coaches did at, uh, at, at, at looking at all those things. But a lot of coaches make moves today in the college world on recruiting and, um, you know, being able to land players and get players and, you know, hopefully they don't cheat to do it because there's a lot of cheating going on out there. It's no question. But now with the NIL, it's, it seems like it's all wide open anyway. So. All right, coach. Well, great job, coach. We're going to talk to you next week as well. Hopefully my voice will be in a little bit better shape for the week. I need to, I need a good throat lodging. I know talk talk to the audience. I know you told me a good story about you lost your voice at a big moment. Tell the audience about when you <laughs> lost your voice and how do you hand and I'm seriously, how do you handle it as far as doing what you got to do to coach the team? Well, I don't want to tell the story because we're number two in the nation. We're playing Rutgers. <laughs> I lost my voice much that honest to God, in the in the second half, I was yelling, but nothing was coming out. Uh, and uh, and I, I couldn't instruct sometimes. And that was first because usually I just did it verbally, especially people that were close to the sideline. And uh, my voice, I, lo I lost it that night and never and never came back. So I've always got this raspy voice from that, uh, from that night on. So it served me right that <laughs> that happened. <laughs> I don't know. You know uh, after the years when I, when I became just more of a defense coordinator, not a head coach, uh, you know, you, you know, I just – learn to coach without yelling as much, you know, you just can't, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you lose your voice like that. I don't have the answer. I, don't, I can't help. <laughs> a lot of hand signals, a lot of signals. <laughs> Coach, have a great week. We'll talk next week. Okay. All right. All right, Jason. All right. Appreciate we'll see it. You. Yep. We'll be right, right back on the powers on sports podcast, simulcast with Florida football insiders. All right, welcome back to Florida Football Insiders. You just heard from Coach Jim Levitt give, give his breakdown of all the action over the weekend, and now we are going to go to the preview of this weekend's kind of big game in the state of Florida, Tennessee, 
host the Gators in the SEC opener for Tennessee will be the second SEC game for the Gators. They, they lost to Kentucky a couple of weeks ago back in Gainesville, but no better to person we're going to bring in to talk all things Tennessee volunteer football than Vince Ferrari. He's a sports radio host up in Knoxville at 99.1, the sports animal. He is a Tampa native, so he knows all about the state of Florida as well. Jefferson Dragons in the house. And, uh, but yeah, Vince does a tremendous job covering the volunteers. He does all the uh, basketball, football all, all throughout the year. He does, he does uh, play-by-play for the baseball program. He does high school football up in uh, the Knoxville area on Friday nights. He is dialed into the volunteer program. So welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Ferrara. My friend, great to be with you. Appreciate it. And USF Bull. Yes. So almost able to pull it off, but. Should have um, won. Yeah, at least some sort of sign of life, which those of you that have watched a lot of USF football, we've been dying to find some sort of pulse. And at least there was that in Gainesville. But uh, but yeah, came up short in the end. But great to be with you as always, Chase. Yeah, we talked with Coach Levin a lot about the USF game and how how well they played. And, you know, like like he said, you just got to make that final play to win the game. It's it's great to play well and play close, but you you know they're in the business of winning games. You got to win the game. So right. All right, let's get to your Tennessee Volunteers coming in three and zero. You know the, they played a couple cupcakes and they had the one tough game a couple weeks ago at Pitt where they got they survived in overtime. But at Pitt, that's a good, that's a good quality win mm-hmm. in the Johnny Majors Bowl up there. Just give give the audience a little overview of uh, the, the the Volunteers through three weeks. Yeah, I think it's been really encouraging. Fans are excited. And look, yes, you're right. Two cupcakes, Ball State, Akron. And both of those teams are among the worst in the FBS. However, they handled them. They they destroyed both of them. And we've seen yeah. heavy favorites, even in this league, kind of mess around a little bit with um, far inferior opponents. That has not been the case with Tennessee. They've been able to put teams away, get their backups playing time, not add unnecessary snaps that accumulate later in the year when you play them too long. Yeah, uh, I think Josh Heifel and the staff have gone gone to the bench a little bit earlier. You could argue they could go or even earlier, but so I I think those blowouts have gone well. You get a lot of guys playing time, shorten the bench against Pitt in the game in between. But even that, even if they're Pitt. Last year with Kenny Pickett, Jordan Addison, and that crew, they're still a talented team. Yeah. Pretty salty on defense. Keaton Slovis played really well until he got hurt. And I thought his backup showed some heart in that game, too. So to do that on the road and what you were able to, to do to get that kind of road win and then not have your offense at its peak function right. Right. and have your defense come through for you. I thought I thought it was overall very much a positive and a good early season test for them before they get into conference play in this game on Saturday in Neyland Stadium. Yeah, I mean they got they got a lot of expectations going into the weekend. You got game day coming to town. Talk about the offense a little bit. Hendon Hooker, the clear cut leader of that offense. I think I saw heard a stat today: forty four touchdowns, two picks since he's been the starting quarterback. Something like that. Is that is that pretty close? Yeah, it's close. It might be 42, 44, something like that. But yeah, he's one of his interceptions was when he came in in relief in the pit game. He's only had three as a Tennessee volunteer, 31 touchdowns, three interceptions all of last year. One came in in that pit game. But yeah, since he became the starter, 
Um, it's been spectacular. I mean, who, who's that efficient? And, and it, it's so crazy. I was thinking about it while we're interviewing him today. It's not like he even comes close to turning the ball over. Right. Like, like a lot of guys, they'll, you know, have balls that should have been intercepted, go through the hands of defenders and, you know, kind of like, man, you got lucky on that one. You don't even see those kind of throws from Hendon Hooker. So he has this ultimate priority of protecting the football while not playing ultra conservative. And that was one of the things he told me before the season is, Hey, I, I, I know, I know everybody's job and I know this entire offense inside and out. So there's going to be times where, yeah, I'm going to sling it in there because I can, because I know where my guys are going to be. I know how to manipulate defenders and get them into those tight windows and he's done such a good job of that. Granted, not against all the best of competition, but he's not even coming close to turning the ball over. Now, I know Tennessee yeah. fans that might find your podcast, Jason will say, well, now, look, now he's going to jinx him, and now he's going to turn the ball over four times. But, I mean, the numbers are where they are to this yeah. point. He is incredibly efficient, dynamic. And what's also encouraging is Joe Milton has played lights out in his, his second half appearances in his two games uh, and, and that's, I think, excited fans, too, to where if something happens to Hendon yeah. Hooker, now it's not the Joe Milton that can't handle the, the big stage. Now it's a guy that's hitting his deep shots, which was what got him uh, part of the reason why got him so frustrated with fans and, and got him on the bench last year. So uh, I think Tennessee has as good of a one-two quarterback situation not only in this league, but in the country. I don't know if anybody's got a stronger arm than Joe Milton. It's ridiculous the bazooka this kid has. He's got another year of eligibility next year, too, and he didn't bolt when everybody else, all these other quarterbacks, leave when they don't get a chance for playing time. He and Hendon Hooker are best of friends, and so they help each other out. It's a really unique and experienced dynamic they have in that QB room. But there's no doubt who QB one is, and that's Hendon Hooker. And then again, hype one of you know the Tennessee offense is, is known for their up pace tempo. They're they're snapping the ball every 15, 20 seconds. One of the fastest teams in the country. I think that'll be a major advantage for them against this Florida team that doesn't have a lot of depth on defense. Is that one of the goals you think the offense wants to do? Is rack up play after play to wear them down? Yeah, I, I think that it, but it is what they want to do, but it's not because Florida lacks depth. It's what they do to a lot of teams. And then if you happen to not have depth, then that kind of sucks for you. So, <laughs> right. you know, that I think that's the way they look at it, that they really try not to make too much of, hey, this team it has this lacking or this corner's not there. And, yep. and obviously, as you know, Jason, the availability of players is a topic of conversation and, and could impact the game on both sides. Right. So, but I don't think Tennessee is caught up in that. They have their standards of how they want to play. And as long as they have successful plays, especially on first down, man, they can keep it moving, convert third downs. They've done a little bit better job of that on third down, but man, when they keep you off balance, spread you out and have that tempo, and they get in the end zone. I mean, it's, it's it's really tough. All right, before we get to the defense, talk to me about the kicking game. I know we've seen a lot of special teams blunders around the country. Talk to me about the Tennessee kicking game, the return team, the, the field goal kicker. Are they in good shape there? Why would you want to know about the kicking game? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, yeah, I, I think they are. Chase McGrath, he did miss one field goal 
uh, last week, his first miss of the year. He had a 51 yarder that was pretty important in the win at Pitt. And so he, he hasn't had a ton of kicks from long distance, but uh, he, he has been pretty good in his, in his career. He made clutch kicks at USC. So right. I think they're good there. They usually get distance into the end zone on their kickoffs. Yep. Uh, Paxton Brooks is, a you know, probably top three to five punter in the league. Right. Not, you know, not the biggest leg at times he can switch fields, but he gets really good hang time on his kick. So yep. he's good at not, they don't really give up a lot in the return game because yep. of that. So things they haven't really given up a big return that I can remember. So I, I think, I think very solid on special teams. All right, let's go, let's, let's go to the defense. You know, uh, you know, that's obviously been the, been the kind of the narrative with Tennessee the last year or so is can they have enough stops, especially in conference play? You know, you're going to, you're see, you're going to see Anthony Richardson potential, you know, he played great in the Utah game, but he hasn't played great in the Kentucky in the South Florida game, throwing the ball. Is this a game where they're really going to try to keep him in the pocket to make him have to throw the football? It really is maybe the biggest factor in this game. Josh Heupel said it was one of the most important factors today, this Monday Florida Week press conference. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee had a lot of issues with that last year. You name the mobile quarterback, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Bryce Young, I mean, on and on. All those guys just gave Tennessee heck, especially on third and long where you got them in the, uh, behind the chains. Right. And it's third and 11. And those guys are running for 14 yards. So it was, they had some backbreaking situations last year. Uh, they haven't really faced those kind of quarterbacks this year. Richardson will be by far the most dynamic and maybe he'll be the, the most all year in terms of his athleticism. He won't sure. be the best quarterback. But, yeah, and I think they've done a better job of that. Josh Heupel thinks so. Tim Banks thinks so. That they've done a little bit better job in, in yes, getting vertical and getting after the quarterback, but also keeping their, their, their contain and not giving up that edge. Uh, the pressure on the quarterback has been, has been big. In the last two games, they had 26 pressures in the pit game. And they had, I think, the season high in tackles for loss in uh, in this last game against Akron. So the D-line, although not any superstars, the D-line has had a lot of guys contribute and get after the quarterback. Tyler Barron, Byron uh, Young, those guys, I think I said Byron Young before, it's Bryce Young, the quarterback from Alabama, but Byron Young for Tennessee uh, has gotten good pass rush. He was defensive player of the week. Uh, last week after Pitt. So they, they've got guys that can disrupt the quarterback. Tim Banks is still dialing up blitzes. They're very aggressive defensively. And But when you do that, this is the game where it can be dangerous, not necessarily in Anthony Richardson throwing the ball uh, on the run, but him running Run for right. a long ways. And so, yeah, that that's going to be a big factor in this game because it's so different than what they've seen this year. All right, so Tennessee, you got a big crowd, you got a big anticipation. You got CBS going to be there Saturday, three thirty. Yep. Huge rivalry. Is Tennessee ready for this moment? Not that this is going to be the biggest game on their schedule, but it's a big rivalry game. You know, they're ranked. They're you guys are uh, Tennessee's number eleven in the country, so some expectations now. Is Tennessee ready to take that first step at SEC play? Yeah, I think so. And look, if this if this team was coached by Jeremy Pruitt and the records were what they were, 
I, you wouldn't feel anything close to how you feel now. Right. Yes, the history is still there. Florida still had a ton of success against Tennessee. Far worse Florida teams have not only yeah. beaten Tennessee, but come to Neyland Stadium and just crush the hopes and dreams of Tennessee fans. But this team is put together with, I think, a little bit better foundation from within. They love being around each other. Great team chemistry. Uh, they play really hard for this coaching staff. They're connected to this coaching staff. They're not just doing it because people wanted them to play football and because they were already here. They truly enjoy playing the game. I don't think that because of the way they handle lesser opponents, I think they'll handle this game with a maturity. Look, Pitt was a test for them already that they could handle things. Now, it didn't go perfect for them, but this team – you can't judge them on perfect. They're not Georgia or Alabama. Right. Nobody is other than those two. So it, you can't go off of that bar, but man, they can do so many things. Well, I think more than Florida, that I think that will win out on the end. And I, I don't see them having really a bad week of practice to where it'll impact them on, on Saturday. I, I think I think this coaching staff is really good about keeping them loose, but getting work done Pruitt was one of those coaches where guys were really tight all the time. They weren't necessarily happy. Right. You know, he's talking about changing 25 players at halftime, you know, <laughs> with the next recruiting class, stuff like that. So that filters down there. There's none of that stuff. They, they say all the right things. And you know, for the, for the most part, yeah, they're, they make some mistakes, but man, you can see the progress and them getting better. Jason, they weren't ranked coming into the year and now they're they're up to 11 so tough schedule or not they pass the eye test and they, they do and you mentioned the defense that's really where i said going into the year if they're going to improve the win total <clears throat> offense is going to be great that's where you can make a difference and i think they have shown improvement on defense and and that i think will help them in this game too as long as it's not back to horrific, I, I would I would be surprised. Uh, Tennessee has improved, and I, I I think the way they're built, they'll handle Saturday just fine. Yeah, ten, I mean, if Tennessee just plays average defense, they're going to have a hell of a year. I mean, yeah. as good as they are on offense, they don't have to be Georgia defensively. Just be right. middle of the pack, you know, defensively, and don't give up the boneheaded plays in the third and longs. You're going to give up some yards and points. We all get that, but – don't don't be a disaster on defense. I think Tennessee's going to be a, a a formidable threat to everybody but Georgia and Alabama in the SEC. Yeah, and and it'll be interesting. You mentioned the you know the just don't be bad on defense. I wonder if Tim Banks might not be as aggressive as he typically is because honestly, if they force Anthony Richardson yes. to try to read the field, yes, <laughs> that that might work in their favor. Florida is last in the SEC in passing yards. Yep. But the thing is, is that's also not who they are. So how much do you change what you do for the opponent? That'll be kind of an interesting chess match and thing to watch. Maybe they just do it from time to time and try to disguise it. That was really successful for them against Pitt in disguising when they send the blitzes. And maybe Richardson just doesn't understand it or see it when it's coming. So that's probably where it's going to be is they're going to pick their spots a little bit better rather than no, we're going to play, 
you know, eight in coverage and let him stay in the pocket because he'll try to run anyway. And the last key point, I'll get you out of here. This is going to be a game, first road game for Florida. So it's going to be so people are going to be sauced up at Neyland. It'll be 100,000. They are going to be rocking. So, I mean, the noise, the crowd noise in itself with the, the Billy Napier's first team on the road, I think will be a major factor for Richardson as well. So don't be surprised if that causes timeout issues, delay of game issues, and then invari- invariably a turnover issue, a turnover or two issue because of the miscommunications. I think it's a great point. And look, they're doing the checker kneeling thing, which has looked awesome on TV and in person when, yeah. when they've done that. I don't know how they pull it off, but they always seem to do that. And, you know, the Tennessee's fans, when I've been down on the field, it's at the end of games. It is, if it's a close game and a meaningful game, it is right there as loud as any venue I have ever seen. I've been on the field at Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Uh, it's right up there. Uh, right. So, it, yes, how they handle it especially because Richardson has shown that he still will turn the ball over anyway. Um, they're they're, they're going to make it tough for them. So that that's a, a good point that could factor in the game as well. All right, Vince, tell everybody where they can find you online. I know, again, Vince also does high school football up in the area. So if you're streaming online, look them up at 99.1, but tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, I appreciate it. We put all our commercial free, all our replays commercial free up there afterwards. So you can check it out. Former NFL and Tennessee running back Jay Graham is my color analyst this year. So we're having fun with those games. You can find the podcast 991 dot com, or just look for high school football games in Oxville and you'll s- subscribe there. I mean, all the post game, every interview that they Tennessee does, and they do a bunch of coaches and play. They let us talk to the entire staff, Jason. That's awesome. I mean, That's awesome. The, the SEC. Now they'll do like a couple at a time, but at least we make our rounds and talk to everybody plenty of others don't do that it's the one voice thing and uh so we talked to a bunch of players and i do the vol network pregame interview as well so that's that's a lot of fun and uh so tons of coverage there and then you can follow me on twitter at vince sports as well and all the other social same handle instagram facebook and uh youtube channel as well which is really blowing up doing a lot of cool things doing a podcast with one of our afternoon co-hosts jimmy himes now uh so three days a week so uh, just always stuff cooking yeah this does a great job guys if you're a tennessee fan sec fan definitely check them out they do lots of great stuff interview terrific social media content um they're on there all the time they got great stuff and so follow vince again look good looking forward to opening week for tennessee again i think we both think they're they're the better team here it's just a matter of going to prove it and sticking the nail in i think florida's ripe for the taking this week they're ripe to be beaten tennessee i think is ready to do it so good luck in knoxville don't get hung up at all those party animals at game day Saturday. Don't let me see you holding up a sign Saturday at game day. <laughs> no, I will. I will be out in the crowd, but that's for my pregame ball network. <laughs> role. But it'll be me with a microphone. So if they're really inebriated, might not make it on air. I have to make that call. But um, yeah, fighting through the crowd. I'll be doing that, but just not there on the game day set. I'll leave that to the hardcores but man wish you could experience it uh at some point jason it's the the atmosphere here is unreal so it's going to be peak this coming saturday so i I actually have my my boss in my real my real job is actually going to the game he's meeting buddies up there for he's coming up for the game saturday so my boss andy wood will be there in attendance in in kneeling so 
Good luck, nice. Vince. Have a great weekend, buddy. And appreciate you jumping on. All right, you're the man. Thanks, Jason. You got it. All right, we'll be right back with Colin Sherr. We're going to talk a little USF football. We'll be right back. Special thanks to our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions and Realtor Star Alvarado. If you are looking to sell your home or are looking to purchase a home anywhere in the Tampa Bay area, from Tampa to St. Pete to Wesley Chapel and everywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She will be a great advocate for you on both the selling side and the purchasing side of the real estate transaction. So Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. Print and Marketing Solutions. Do you have a corporate event? Do you have golf tournaments? Are you involved in an election? Do you need signs, banners, road signs? Uh, Do you need marketing pieces? Do you need color copies, business cards, everything in between? Reach out to Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located off of the the intersection of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. He is a full-service print and digital marketing supplier anything you need in the print and print needs todd can help you so reach out to todd tedesco 813-498-2887 print and marketing solutions are you ready to profit this nfl and college football season do you need picks to profit with your sports gambling outlet reach out to picks to profit at 813-542-7559 One flat monthly fee of $100, no more, no less. You will receive six picks every week of the college football and NFL season. Point spreads, totals, prop plays, teasers, maybe even a parlay. You'll get all six picks emailed and texted straight to your mobile device on game day. Let us do the work while you profit. Picks to profit, 813-542-7559. All right, welcome back to the Florida Football Insiders podcast presented by Beefo Brady's on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. You just heard from Vince Ferrar. We gave you a good little preview of Florida, Tennessee. And now we're going to talk to Colin Sherwin. Colin's, Colin is the college sports editor for DraftKings Nation. He talks all things college football, gambling, all that kind of good stuff. And he's also a huge USF supporter or follower. And, uh, follows the program very closely so we're going to talk to colin about the usf florida game we're going to preview louisville and uh, might even talk a little gambling so welcome back to the podcast colin uh great to be here jason uh yeah a wild one for usf this weekend uh didn't see that one coming that's for sure um but yeah they they as usf tends to do in big spots came up a little bit short <laughs> but give them credit they played really well they outplayed played great florida for, for a lot of that game you know a couple bad you know bad snap at the last drive by the center yeah, the holder dropped the snap on the field goal attempt. Um, the one thing I didn't like, I didn't like them trying to settle for a 50-yard field goal at the end there. They had the ball yeah. about 25 or about the 30-yard line. It was third and 10 or 12. You got to try to get more than two yards on a run. You try to you got to try to get make that a, a 40-yard field goal instead of a 50-yard field goal, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and a 40-yard field goal might have gone through even with the bad snap. It was amazing that it got that close. Right. Um, yeah, you know what? I've had... I've probably complained more about Jeff Scott's game management than anyone. Um, I think it's been pretty poor. I think for the most part, though, it, it, with maybe that one exception, right. uh, they were fantastic on Saturday. Um, going forward on fourth and one inside their own 40, 
um, in a spot where you just have to have it because you're on the road and you, you're trying to win the game. Yeah, I thought that was great. They made some great calls on on tough ones at midfield, um, and their clock management was pretty solid until you know the end of that last drive there. They, at the end of the half, I, their middle eight, they won the middle eight, which that that last four minutes of the first half, that first four minutes of the second half, dominated. Um, that was some of their best football of the game too. So. You know, I think if you take away a couple of penalties um, that were certainly questionable, um, right. there were some calls that really, you know, they got called for a rub for OPI that looked kind of borderline. Right, right. Yeah, kind of. And then, but it would be one thing if you're going to call that, that's fine. But then the way that they were being, where USF was being held on some drives and some possessions later and being bumped and chucked off of plays. If you're going to call it one way, you got to call both. And they just didn't, you know, I'm I'm fine with either, but. But if you're going to call it both, you got to call both. And then there was a, a, a personal foul call on Matt Hill that just seemed super questionable. On right. and they had gotten off the field, it was third and long, and they were going to get off the field. And then that extended a drive that ended up as a touchdown. So you take away some questionable calls, some some you know other things. I think USF was right in that game. I think that reflects on one the a, a fantastic week of game preparation and a really good job by this coaching staff to put the ball in players like Brian Petit's hands, who right. I think had 175 yards rushing total. Um, so full credit to the, for the to USF, but I think it also shows that the Gators are kind of mediocre this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, this is not a great sec Florida team. I think they'll get there. I think they hired a great coach in Billy Napier and he'll figure it out if they leave him alone. Um, but, you know, Anthony Richardson made some key mistakes in some bad spots. And I think the Gators will be fine, but I, I, USF fans that are looking to be, to have been this close against a Florida team of your, that's not what this is. That Utah game, man, you know, I know what the game score says. And I know that like on the numbers that it's that theoretically Florida was supposed to win more often um, than, than Utah was, but man, you play that game a hundred times. I'm telling you, Utah's going to win that 80. Um, you know, that was just a bad spot. The, the numbers on this one, I saw one, you know, game comparison that said, you know, Florida was supposed to win that game 90% of the time. Well, I, watch the game. I mean, I, I yeah. just think sometimes those stats are, are, can be misleading in a single game sample size. And so, um, yeah, you, I mean, USF, you take away the bad snap, 45 carries for 300 yards. Right. That's phenomenal on the road in the sec. Like that's I thought the, I thought fantastic. the play calling was terrific by Travis Trickett. I mean, tremendous 100%. variety, misdirection. You threw the ball just enough, but again, a very well-designed game plan by that help that by the whole staff of Jeff Scott. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, trick it in that first game. I was very critical because he's not telling broadcasters his game plan. And he's like, we're going to keep it all secret. And then they go out and it's 38, nothing, you know, and, and okay, fine. So if you have the Glenn Gary plays, if you have the, if you have the leads, use the leads, you know, and then it seems like he figured whether that was by design to hold everything back for Florida, or if they just sort of figured it out between week one and week three. Sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining either way. Uh, we'll take it. And I think if they play this well at Louisville, uh, they're certainly going to cover because that spread. I, I, I have it at 14, but I think most people have it in the, 12 I think it's half, around 12, 12 and a half, 13. 13. Yeah. 12 and a half, 13 range right now. Um, I would say, you know, give me, give me the, should give be me the in the game. If they, they can should do it be in the game. 
Now, can they do this two in a row? That's that's the big question. Now, um, my next question. That's my next right. question for you. Encouragement for the program, for the fan base to know, hey, Jeff Scott is showing some signs here. He can coach, you know, he can get the guys motivated to play, but it's the consistency, not just a one game a year effort like this. Can you put three, four, five, six of these in a row where the effort is really good, the execution is pretty good? You're not you're not going to win every single game, but knowing that you're going to be competitive in all these games. Yeah, I agree. And and they have to be able to show that they can do this repeatedly. And I'm not sure that they have yet. So uh, I'm a little dodgy. And actually, it looks like as I wait, you know, as I check the odds board for the first time today, there are now some Louisville 14 and a halfs out there in the ether as well. So it seems like the line that opened at 14 that got down to is I saw an 11 and a half earlier this week. Right. And now that has crawled up back to 14 and a half. So I'm going to have to take a look and see if there were any USF injury announcements while I was um in meetings this morning but um yeah that is there is uh, one it, there is one i can tell you that just i'm not going to tell you the name but there is one. <laughs> oh, oh, one that hasn't been released to the public I don't, yet, yeah, I don't, it may not have been released i just trust me when i tell you there's an injury that's going to be of concern for usf uh is offense or defense uh the o the o oh it boy ain't, it, ain't okay. the, it ain't the quarterback but it's 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 somebody but yeah okay yep Interesting thing about this Louisville matchup. Obviously, Louisville's got a lot of Florida connections so far this year. They played UCF, Florida State. What do you see out of Louisville that either makes you encouraged for USF or makes you a little nervous about USF? They got a good quarterback. Malik Cunningham's been there 100 years, it seems like. They played a very good game against Florida State. Florida State got them there at the end. Um, is, is this a good spot for USF? Uh, I I had USF at 14 before I knew of any injury. So I, I thought that was a good spot. I thought it would close in the 12 to 12 and a half range. So I'm interested to see what I'm not knowing here. Um, but the, uh, but for Louisville, um, I think Malik Cunningham is just going to be able to run pretty much at will against this USF defense. I think he's going to put up a lot of numbers. On the other hand, Louisville's defense is very poor. They tackle right. extremely poorly in space. Um, they're not exactly cover machines out there. Um, I really feel like that this is a spot where USF could use that misdirection game that they use so well against Florida. They're going to be able to get Louisville going the wrong one way. And then once they beat them to the spot, the way that Louisville tackles and has shown that they tackle this season, they're going to be able to break off big plays. So I think USF's got a shot. I mean, I, I will take Louisville to win at home, but I think especially if you're getting 14 points or even maybe even a little bit more, if right. USF can show that they can do it two weeks in a row, that is the biggest issue is that they've had good games in the past, but they've yet to string together two good performances under Jeff Scott. If they can do that this week, they'll definitely cover. Um, and I, I do like their chances to to possibly be in the game in the fourth quarter as well. Do you see what let's look ahead to the conference schedule starts next week? I believe East Carolina. What do you again? If you play well again this week, that gives you encouragement that you can probably be middle of the pack of the AAC. Is that what you yeah. see out of USF? Boy, I don't know. Uh, you get, you're going to need to go five and three in the league um, to get to a bowl game. And I think that seems a little, a little tough. Um, right. Temple's terrible. Right. Like Temple's now they've made a quarterback change um, and they've brought in uh, Kurt Warner's son. Right. Um, one of Kurt Warner's several sons <laughs> um, who is, who will uh, replace DeJuan Math as a quarterback. And it seems like he gave them a little bit of a lift last week against right. Rutgers. Uh, they covered easily against Rutgers. Um, but I'm still not sure that there's any team in this league where you can go, okay, well, USF is clearly just going right. to win this game. Well, East, Carolina is a, East Carolina is a, probably a winnable game. That's a 50, it's probably a 50, a, 50 game at home. That's a game you, yeah. should, you should at least you should be in, in the, going into the fourth quarter. 
it's a game that Jeff Scott's going to need to win no matter the result this week, because he needs to be able to show that he can win uh, a conference game at home um, right. against a team that is kind of a 50, 50. So, yeah, I, I feel like the, that Holt, Na- by the way, Holt Naylor's talking about guys who've been in college forever. Holt Naylor's um, I think founded the East Carolina university <laughs> and he's, and he's still there, but he, you know, he makes mistakes. He's not a world beater, but he's consistent and you know what you're going to get from him. And um, you know, there's, there's, I will say this. It seems like some of the middling teams in the in the AAC this year. Tulsa's maybe a little better than I thought. Tulane's probably a little bit better right, than I thought. Right, good win so, for Tulane. Yep. Yeah, and and at the top of the league, Houston is worse than I thought. I right. thought Houston would be a little bit better than they are this year so far. So, f- I five and three is going to be tough. I don't think they can get there. If they could find a way to scrape it to to four and eight or five and seven, I think that's a perfectly fine season for where they are in this level of their development. Anything beyond that would be a bonus. All right, Colin, tell, tell everybody where they can find you online. Uh, at Colin Sherwin on Twitter, C-O-L-L-I-N. Um, you know, just general, uh, lots of rage tweeting about USF football on Saturdays, um, as well as like picks and things during the week. We also have the President's Cup this weekend. Um, I cover golf for us as well, so you'll see a lot of President's Cup content out there, um, even though that's kind of a dumb event. We really shouldn't be playing it, but whatever. <laughs> US, US is going to run through the, this international team, and, and not a lot of people are going to care. It's more of a tune-up for the Ryder Cup for next year. Um, yeah, and so we'll do a lot of that stuff. And uh, and when college basketball starts, which I can't believe I'm saying this, college basketball is just three weeks away. <laughs> Crazy, right? I know, yeah. right? <laughs> We'll keep up the great work, Colin. We'll be in touch real soon and have a great week. And we'll be right back on the Florida Football Insiders. Thanks for listening to the Florida Football Insiders podcast as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcast network. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at jposports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.